Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Are you interested in angels, demons, spirits, ghosts, and monsters? Are you curious about their origins, tales, and influence upon history and on the present day? If so, sit back, relax, and welcome to Southern Demonology, the podcast that explores all of this and more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, all. Welcome back to another episode of Southern Demonology. As always, I'm your host, JJ. I'm very pleased to bring you an interview with Rocky from Macabre World Podcast. I was a guest on her podcast a few weeks ago, and she graciously agreed to come talk about some of her interests and worldviews, and it was a ton of fun being able to speak to her. All right, so look forward to that. We cover a ton of different topics. However, I will say that this episode, in terms of editing, was almost delayed by chance encounter. Uh, in the first part of our interview, which you're about to hear, uh, I relay an experience of uh, encountering a skunk at Harvard Yard when I was walking back to my dorm room. And as chance would have it, I encountered another one on a Thursday night. I was taking my dog out for her last walk for the night at midnight. And for those that don't know, I have a very large dog. She's probably about 110 pounds. She's a stray that I rescued three or four years ago now, and she was seven when I got her. But she was a little bit wild when it comes to walking on a leash, but ever since then, she's been perfectly fine. I've got her trained up. She knows what she should do, what she shouldn't do normally. But that night, for some reason, I had turned around to close the door and she then yanked the leash from my hand, something she has not done in a good three years, and then goes to investigate something. And she is not used to being by herself. I just knew I had lost her. I ran up my basement stairs, and I see her in the corner of my yard. I run over to get her, and I know something is wrong. She is like, has a snarl on her face. She's rubbing her head into the grass. And then I get a little bit closer 
and the smell hits me. Apparently, she had seen a black and white animal that she just had to go chase after. And wouldn't you know it, it was a skunk. So, past couple of days, I have been dealing with a horrendous smell. Yes, I gave her a bath immediately. A couple of baths, actually. Tried a couple of uh, homemade uh, solutions that I found on the web. Nothing really worked all that well, and but luckily the smell is now fading. But it has uh, it's definitely been a source of distraction, to put it mildly. Anyway, the o- only thing else I wanted to say before we get into the interview is, if you wouldn't mind, please rate and subscribe uh, whatever platform that you happen to listen to the podcast on. That will help me tremendously. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the really entertaining and enlightening conversation that I got to have with Rocky. Thank you very much. I have, as a distinct pleasure, Rocky from the Macabre World podcast with us. You can find the link to her podcast on the Friends of the Show site on southerndemonology.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, JJ. It's great to be here. We had a lot of fun chatting on my podcast, so I'm only happy to come and chat on yours. How are things? Tell me what's going on. What's going on in the Demon South there, my friend? Oh, so, so much. I actually just got through wrapping up a a two-part interview with a person from Cookville, Tennessee, who is a member of a paranormal research group. Uh, And that's actually coming out here, uh, actually, by the time this goes out, both episodes will have already appeared on our site. But yeah, that was a a great chat. How's everything over in Macomb World? Well, Macomb World is uh, based out of New Jersey. I'm in South New Jersey. I'm originally from uh, southeastern New England. I grew up in Rhode Island. So I'm a little bit of a misfit in Jersey. But I think, actually, if you look around Jersey, you'll see it's a great place to be a misfit. So there's plenty of that Thank going on. Washington DC. So yeah. Right. You know, well right I, I gotta tell you, I, I like I like a cosmopolitan area. I like an area that's got people from all kinds of countries, people from all kinds of places, north, south, you know, old country, new country. There's a whole lot going on. I think that's that's I think my favorite thing about and, and I know that the northeast is not everybody's favorite area of the country. Because it is, it is very, you know, population dense. Our property taxes are so exorbitant. I'm, I'm always amazed that you don't actually have to be uh, Solomon to own a house here. You know, and, and things like that that are crazy. But there, it's really cosmopolitan. You, you have a lot of people that came in from the immigrant waves. My family is an immigrant family. And then you have folks that, you know, are from different parts of the country that, and that have gravitated here either for business. Philadelphia is here, you know, nearby. So it's there's lots of stories and lots of stuff, and and I really enjoy that because I always got something going on. But I miss New England. I'm there with you. I, I will actually. Can you can you actually pinpoint when you fell in love with the cosmopolitan area? Because I'll tell you mine real quick. I went to New York City for the very first time, and I'm from the smallest town in Tennessee. It was a complete like world breaking event for me and i went on the staten island ferry for the very first time and i heard 50 languages being spoken around me 
And I knew right then and there that language was always going to be an ultimate fascination. You know, it's that's a hell of a view, isn't it, when you come in on the Staten Island Ferry? <laughs> For me, I had a, a my town is Bristol, Rhode Island. It's a small peninsula in Narragansett Bay in Rhode Island. I think our our at the time growing up in the 19 uh the the late 60s early 70s for me at that at that time i think our big thing was we had a few factories we have a lot of commercial fishing it's a big heavy commercial fishing area and a lot of immigrants at the time the first wave of immigration in that area was the italians and then the next wave were the portuguese mainly for the fishing trades because uh, and most of the portuguese were from the azores so i'm half portuguese and half italian and my mom's family's from the azores so it all kind of makes sense. I'm what I call a true Bristol hybrid. So growing up, I heard more than one language. I learned a good fair bit of Portuguese growing up. I wouldn't say I'm fully bilingual because, you know, a lot of it was just food and angry words. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. I got better at it as time goes on because I wanted to figure out what the adults were talking about. I was that, like, big sneaky little kid that wanted to know what the adults were saying. So Portuguese was code. And I, and I had to crack the code. So that's kind of how I learned a language, basically, out of spite. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know. But um, so I had this, but it is a microcosm. And I think when we talk about the difference in, in you know, it doesn't seem like a town that at the time probably had maybe 15,000 people in those days. It's probably over 30 now. But which is a relatively small town compared to your town, not so much. But in general, that's a relatively small town. It was a little fishing village, you know, mm -hmm. that was in between Providence and Newport. And now it's like little Newport. In fact, my, my late father, before he passed, looked at our you know regular house in a regular neighborhood on a regular street and said, you know, if I didn't outlive my mortgage, I couldn't afford to live here. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those places that kind of got built up. But uh, I still have family there. So. I went to college in Boston, and uh, that was that was kind of an experience because Bristol, Rhode Island, at the time was was diverse in the sense of we had all kinds of you know Mediterranean people, mm -hmm. but I didn't have all kinds of other people. So right. I mean, you know, we had lots of Portuguese folks, we had lots of Italian folks. Somebody heard that so and so's aunt was Greek, and then you know, and that was a little bit of a mix in there. We had. And I love it all, to be honest with you. You know, I think the more melts, the better. And and the, I think they're a great melting point are two things, food and horror movies. Yep. You know, and and, and the, the, some of the greatest conversations I've had about horror movies and things with, with people for learning where your common ground is. Did you know that the word, and, I, and I, somebody's going to write in and tell you what it is because I can't remember it. My late friend Sophie told me the word for vampire in Greek apparently means um, poop eater. I'm I'm cleaning that up and uh and and that's that's what the the word for vampire and she also taught me her spina copita so that's how this works you know you gotta have that's why you have popcorn at the movies food and horror goes together amen to i think one. we need I, you know, are the people from the cooking channel listening because they need to do a show where where you have food and horror you know the, the world's most horrible chefs or something i don't know because that would actually be a phenomenal thing it would be yeah. somebody get on that all right readers all right listeners readers everybody Actually, it's funny when you approach a language from a uh, like a nerd culture type of perspective. Sure, it's kind of weird how you get 
much more specific vocabulary, even though your general language skills are lacking. So for Japan, like in my household, I have two different languages being spoken constantly, Chinese and Japanese, in addition to English. Usually all three fuse together in some weird combination that makes my head hurt. Fair. <laughs> but I was uh, talking to my wife and I was like, yeah, you know what uh, a Kuketsky is, right? She's like, nope. I'm like, it, it's vampire. Come on. She's like, nope, never heard of that. I went, okay. <laughs> well, you know, th the words can also change dialect-wise, especially for, for some of, like you said, the more deeper, more interesting words. We talked on our, our on my podcast about some of the ancient horrors in the modern world. And, and I said in a side convo that one of the things I'm enjoying about our emerging uh, colleagueship is that we both kind of take that ancient world on the modern twist. We both have vestiges of that in our areas of interest, in our areas of study, and in our experience where old meets new, old country, new country, that kind of thing. Because mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I, I mean, when I'm a little kid, you know, eventually I got geography, like, you know, to a reasonable level. But when you're really little, you actually think when you listen to all the grown-ups talking around you that there is a real country that's just this giant landmass called the old country. <laughs> and you know how people got here from the old country on one one particular vessel and it's called the boat yeah because whenever you heard you know oh that's mrs so-and-so she came over on the boat with your grandmother from the old country and you know and that's, so that's the kind of thing and and so it it was a different kind of cosmopolitan if, if this makes any kind of sense when i got to boston and i went to, went to college and i got mixed in with a far more diverse crowd of people, I realized just how strange I was. You mm -hmm. know, instead of it making you feel like more normal and more, I just felt weirder and weirder because, I mean, I grew up with this old world kind of mentality and, you know, this sort of like clannish thing. And, and they're here and now I'm with all these kinds of people and everybody. But once again, food and horror movies, you know, you learn how to, how to get into it and, 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 talk to people about their experiences about their culture and about their food and get their spinacopita recipe and learn how to make all kinds of cool stuff and and listen to what what their cultures are like and that's that's how it but i like a cosmopolitan culture because i like the variety i'm not the person who goes to the buffet and just eats the macaroni and cheese i i definitely want to try stuff i want to talk to people and, and figure out what, what's making them tick and this, like I said, this old world, new world thing. It amazes me how many um, cultures we have and there's still valid arguments on, and I say valid arguments, I mean strong with support arguments mm -hmm. on whether or not there is any kind of an afterlife and on whether or not good and evil in the spiritual sense actually exists. And I think it's interesting that we've come this far, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't really settle whether or not there is some sort of everlasting and we're always looking for, for proof. We're hoping well, not for only that. that, but there's also just some basics of philosophy that, you know, we have a ton, every philosopher comes up with their own concept of a particular idea, whether it's utilitarianism or morality or justice or whatever it may be. And yet we still have no sense of what may be the best or the metaphysical true, whatever you may want to make of it. I mean, we still consider our philosophy of government to be an experiment. I mean, it's just 
we have such a. Have you read the paper lately, JJ? It is an experiment. <laughs> it, it is, especially these days. That has certainly proven to, to stress yeah. it a good bit. But, uh, but I'm so glad that you said uh, um, the thing about Phil feeling weirder because uh, I think we had that in common too. I went to grad school in Boston, and. Yeah, I mean, I, like, my college was just a group of a thousand guys out in the woods in the middle of Virginia, so there wasn't too much of a differentiator there besides most of them were rich and I was dirt poor, right. uh, but when I went to Boston, oh my gosh, I felt like the ultimate uh, hack, like, do I really, should I really be here? There was one night that I was walking back from the library to my dorm room. And I saw a skunk walking parallel to me in a, uh, in, you know, uh, in line with me. And I almost broke down crying because it reminded me of home because it was wildlife that I have not seen in forever. It There's was plenty of wildlife in Boston. It isn't display. skunks. Not too furry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. And 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 I, I always like to differentiate that there is a pretty big difference between a Rhode Islander and a Bostonian, and if nothing else, the Bostonian will vehemently agree. Um, but you know, it both and oddly enough, the accents aren't even the same. But that there is a culture shock. You know, I I come from this little harbor town, fishing town with this European flair, and and you come from a small place, you know, with with a lot of nature and everything, and all of a sudden we're in the middle of that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there's trains and planes and, you know, it was it was crazy. I think my, my only my only problem with uh, the Big H is that uh, apparently when people meet people from New England, one of their catchphrases they enjoy having them say involves where one parks one vehicle. Yes. And, and, and in particular, so all I have to sell if anybody's gone, you know, do you park your car and have it? Yeah. And I say, well, yeah, they're going to tell you to Somerville, though. <laughs> Sure, but they're exactly. going to tell you to Somerville. <laughs> and that's actually where I lived. When right, I lived. yeah. Well, it's a, or Mepha. <laughs> Mepha. Oh, my God. Mepha. Yeah, it's a good time. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's so many cool stories coming out of Boston. I mean, Boston is a cool place. You've got that whole, like I said, the old world thing that, that, uh, that really sinks in there. Providence, Rhode Island is um, an undercurrent of weird on the east side. Of course, you have. That is the stomping grounds, birthplace, and re- final resting place of the American author H.P. Lovecraft. Yep. And I, you know, I think a lot of us weirdlings, when we 
started venturing out and reading past our, you know, our assigned reading. And I know that not everybody does that. I'm going to guess the kind of folks listening to your podcast read beyond the aside reading. We all read it. Absolutely. We all enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we're all the smart, weird kids. And, you know, when you start reading stuff like Lovecraft, when, when you start reading, you know, about Cthulhu and, and all of that, and, um, and it's just, it's a mastery of horror that is bringing, like, this very primal fear into this civilized world. Because he's writing in, like, you know, post-Victorian society. Quite polite society. But there were mm-hmm. rats in the walls. There's a problem. You know, and, and, and the inner madness of the mind. And even, even if you go back further, authors like Edgar Allan Poe, you look at what they're doing. So you, you got these horror authors that are taking impolite, horrific ideas and thrusting them in the confines of polite society. And culturally, I think that's what we do. We're taking these ancient ideas that are uncomfortable. We spoke of the movie The Prophecy. Yep. I'm not too comfortable with an angel war. I don't know about you. I, I don't like the idea. If there's something more powerful than me that it's arguing amongst itself, I find that unsettling. Yeah, absolutely is. <laughs> I, I think we're actually on the same wavelength because uh, I was thinking of Lovecraft. I mean, in fact, everything was just like summoned up immediately when you mentioned, you know, small harbor town. Oh, did, sure. did Lovecraft actually kind of like truly resonate with you because of where you're from? I mean, did that make it more real for you? When, yes. And and I think I can also actually tell you there's like an aftershock echo with Stephen King. And in both cases, their surroundings. It's one thing, all right, it, the way I can describe it to somebody listening casually is it's one thing to watch a movie in a town that's like your town. Like how many times maybe you saw some towns and in a, in a movie and, and oh that looks like my town and then it's another thing when it actually is your town because all of your plugged in experiences all of your lifetime uh influences around that locale now come into play you have fleshed out what the writer is doing so i think when it's something that resonates when it's home like when um the beginning the first few pages uh, i'm not going to give any spoilers i never do that uh, of uh, Stephen King, so it's been out for a long time now, but the books uh, sell. The mm. first few pages describe an event in Boston Common. Mm. And when you read those first few pages, I don't know if you've read the book, You, if you have been there, basically they're standing on a corner that I stood on many times to cross. They're on the corner opposite Park Street. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. So, you know, and 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 so... While Stephen King is telling you about this this location, or H.P. Lovecraft is talking about walking down Benefit Street, my mind, which has walked down Benefit Street and stood at that corner uh, mm-hmm. in in the uh, Boston Common, I'm thinking, I'm fleshing it out. So I think it resonates with a lot of people. When you have an identity that roots into that moment, I think that's when horror, and I think that's the key to horror, is they have to cap, they have to make you comfortable and make you feel at home, and then they scare you. Yeah, in fact, I mean, King especially, he, you know, he has this knack of not only kind of launching into like, you know, introspections into what a character's, you know, headspace is truly like, but, you know, one of the keys to him is the fact that he can take the most mundane idea and turn it weird 
so weird that it makes you question everything else that inhabits that reality. And, you know, say what you want about, you know, King being mass media or whatever, but he is a master when it comes to just flipping reality on its head and making you look at it. And I think that's what one of the, you know, the best aspects of horror is, you know, if it can make you question every little thing that you've held an assumption about forever, then that has been effective. Yeah, you know, he made us afraid of cars. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, and it dogs. didn't have to be a vampire. It didn't have to be a mummy or a ghost. It was a car. Christine was a car. Exactly. You know, I think I think plots like um like Carrie took something that was curious telekinesis and used it. If you want to talk about and and I know that times have changed and I'm in I'm, I'm absolutely one hundred percent in favor of the more recent uptick of concern and and low tolerance for bullying. But I got bullied in school, and, and I think a lot of people did. And if you want to think of like the ultimate anti-bullying campaign was the movie or the book Carrie. I remember when I read that, I'm like, oh, that would be so cool, you know. And, 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 and which is psychotic because now you're saying, yeah, I'd love to like you know drop things on the heads of my classmates. And but when you're a bullied kid, you say, you know, I wish what you wish for. I mean, it's fantasy, but what you wish for is you wish for a way to fight back, right? And and because you're in your in your non fantasy normal realm, you don't have it. And I often wonder, you know, when what are our weapons? You know, if you're not telekinetic, some people try to fight these things with you know shock value. Some people fight. People you know don't fight at all. They just fold up and collapse like a plan in a cupboard. Some people will you know call on a higher power. It's mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of a lot of interesting defenses that that you know. Because ultimately, I'm trying to remember, and yeah, after where I was anywhere yesterday, I was outside all day, and it was almost 100 degrees. So I basically stuck my brain in a pressure cooker for eight hours. So if I sound a little bit like I'm disconnected, that's why. There's parts of me that are still in the red. But I, I, I think you know, Carrie was vanquished in the end. She basically like imploded upon herself, more or less, the the, the plot line. But you know, what? The good and evil fight is a theme through life, through culture, through ancient, through, you know, and everything is is based on that. I mean, horror, we like horror movies where we have a happy ending. Why do we need that happy ending? Oh, in fact, I think some of the best horror movies in general are ones in which simply do not, either don't have an ending at all. Or the ending that they give is the worst ending imaginable. The like satisfying uh, ending. The Mist? Or is it The Mist by uh, Stephen King? I know it's not a, a great movie, but the ending to that movie. What Have you seen it? I have not. Um, I, I kind of like went on. I, I love Stephen King, but I got to say this, and this is just my personal opinion. Don't write me letters. Don't write JJ letters. Um, this is my personal opinion. I think because he wraps you so much in the story that it became apparent as he went on, got more commercially uh, successful. His endings got weaker and weaker. I would agree with that. And and I don't know if it's because all of a sudden he said, oh, shit, I got to wrap this up. Uh, oh, poop, I got to wrap this up. Or if, you know, it's because it was the meat and the potatoes, not the cleanup that that I thought was where he excelled. 
Oh, I mean, uh, his character the, development second. To exactly. Not. That is, I mean, he inherited a tradition of that, and in the beginning, it was so strong. And yeah, I, I, I do agree that it has become much, much weaker. But the, the ending to the mist is. It's the it's the way in which you would never ever if you, if that was you you would never ever ever want to have that happen to you or you to commit what happened in that movie, and it was just for that reason alone the rest of the sins of that movie were washed away just because that ending was I'll so have to, I'll have to check that sublime. Out. <laughs> I you know it's there's a whole lot of what would you do? Like I, I do paranormal investigating. I do it more as a hobby. Now I'm not affiliated with any group at the present time a zillion years ago. And by zillion, I mean like the, I don't know, mid to late nineties. Um, <laughs> I was a member of the Atlantic paranormal society being, I'm from Rhode Island. There was only one ghost hunting group. And mm-hmm. that was where I met Jay Hawes, uh, Steve Gonsalves and, and Grant from ghost hunters the original oh, wow. ghost hunting series. And we used to meet in a Starbucks in um, Warwick, Rhode Island. And, and have, and, and I, I did a, a couple of investigations with them. And some of the people from the early show are still good friends with them. And like the demon twins, uh, Carl and Keith Johnson, they're oh, delightful yeah. humans. And, and I, I, I should point out, I had Carl as a, as a podcast guest. He's a brilliant podcast guest. Highly recommend Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was one of the first – he and his brother were uh, very early on in the initial investigations of the Perone house, which later became the basis for the movie The Conjuring. So they have I a lot of perspective that, that, that is a, a lot of backstory to that to that type of thing. I always felt bad for those people. They would drag those nice people into the newspapers and on the, on the TV every Halloween. Somebody talked to a Perone family person. In yep. Rhode Island, you know, like, oh, God, you know, it was Halloween because they're going to drag those poor people out and make them talk about that kooky house. I felt so bad for them. No, because, you know, it, it put it this way, whether you're a believer or not is immaterial at that point. And it, I just always felt like they they were violated. Oh, no, I completely agree. You know, I, I just felt really There were bad. those in which, like, you know, they were up for the taste of fame that their cases have brought to them, thinking like Amityville. And then there were others that were just deer in the headlights, and you felt so bad for them every time a reporter wanted to come knock. Right, you know, and that's and do you know they changed the they changed the windows the 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 infamous uh, windows in the Amityville house the the windows. Oh really? That, yeah, the the windows that we all picture. Oh yeah. From the original movie poster, those sort of like orange slice quarter moons, those are gone, and there are regular windows in its place which is probably um to throw people a little bit off the scent more than likely okay can i ask you a slightly controversial question oh yeah i love to get other people's opinions what is your personal thinking around ed and lorraine warren i actually met ed and lorraine warren really yes in the early 90s i was uh on a I worked with uh, Historical Cemetery Preservation or something that's still very active with that. And I was on a – remember when cable access was a thing? Cable access was oh, great. Yeah. It gave us more than Wayne's World. We all had our wacky little shows and our wacky little communities. And I was on a panel about uh, some of the historical cemeteries. It was basically, again, at the Halloween time. And mm-hmm. not in my segment but in another segment were Ed and Lorraine Warren. And I had heard of them 
because the Amityville thing happened, but they certainly were more local fascinations and they had a little bit of, little bit of like, you know, they were on Phil Donahue or something, you know, and kind of thing. And I, I met them only very briefly and I didn't have an in-depth conversation. They were at face value, a very polite, delightful, warm, engaging couple. In hmm. fact, if you, I didn't, if you didn't know what their story was, and you just saw them having lunch, you would. They, there is no, there was no, no air of the kooky about them. Actually, they were very, very normal, delightful people. Um, I do, I do think that, uh, you know, I find them sincere. Mm-hmm. But even a bull in a china shop isn't sincere, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think there were times where Ed may have come off as a bull in a china shop. But I think he meant well. I, I don't think there was any ill intentions. I don't think they were looking to defraud anyone. I think that they were researchers in an area. They were researchers. They were suddenly research, really, mm-hmm. in an area that they weren't planning to be researchers in. Gotcha. They kind of fell into it. So, you know, you, it's a lot different. If you get a guy that's like, you know, into the scientific method and he plans to research something, you're going to lay things out a little differently than when all of a sudden it all starts happening around you and like, well, so here we are. (laughs) So I think that they, I think that, um, Oh, sure. I think that they didn't plan to become researchers, and I think that they had to lay a lot of their groundwork on the fly. And I think some of the criticism that they face is because they sort of got dropped into it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would have a hard time thinking that either one of the people that I've read about and, and briefly met had any ill intention. It would be very, very surprising to me. So do I think they're perfect? No. Do I think they're the be-all, end-all? No. Do I think they they are or were sincere uh, researchers? I do. I think the whole thing about where he was doing exorcisms was weird, though. I I would completely agree with that. And honestly, you know, if you've read any of their books, it's almost like they. My only complaint is that they try to throw on a a Hollywood ending to everything, where you know everything that they ever touched suddenly displayed gross abuses of power and i i don't really i don't really know if i can buy that uh that just doesn't ring true with anything that i've ever encountered but you know then again it's just healthy skepticism from my end i'm not saying that's that's the way it is so (laughs) well you know there's there's it's it's a controversial subject i think i think it also gets very subjective Thank you for listening to Southern Demonology. Find us online at southerndemonology.com where you can find all of our social and podcasting links. Also, if you have a moment, please feel free to rate this podcast and leave any encouraging feedbacks that you may have. As always, I am JJ and it has been a pleasure getting to talk to you today.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.